Oh, Lord God, as we come before your word this evening, we ask that you would once again open this text up to us, Lord. Help us to see the truth contained here. May we see the agony and trial of Jesus with new eyes. May we see our sin, which made it necessary, and your grace that covers the multitude of our sins. We ask that you would do this, Lord, by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, have you ever wanted a do-over? You know, some sort of contest or challenge. You didn't quite do your best. You can do better if you just had another chance. If you just had a mulligan, maybe. It, It could turn out differently. It would all be better the second time around. That's a good way to think about the text and this we're looking at this evening and this whole service, really. At the beginning of it all, if you know the story, you're familiar with it. If not, at the beginning of it all, the very first Adam in the garden, he failed against temptation. He surrendered to the tempter, to Satan, and he brought all humanity ruin, pain, and death. And here's Jesus the second Adam, in another garden. Humankind's do-over against Satan and temptation. Doing battle. Luke tells us at this point that he withdrew from his disciples, that he knelt down and that he prayed. Jesus is now alone and isolated and in a fierce battle. Jesus does not want to do what's required of him. He doesn't want to be here He doesn't want to go there. He struggles and he asks that there be another way. Satan is working on Jesus. He's going after Jesus full force again. At the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry, Jesus was led out into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. And he was fiercely tempted. Satan whispered in his ear three different times, do the miraculous Prove your divinity. Grab the crown without the cross. Back then, Jesus prevailed. The text tells us that Satan left for a more opportune time. And now some three years later, this is the tempter's more opportune time. And he comes to Jesus with the same temptation. Avoid the cross. Don't die for these people. Use your divinity. Save yourself. And we see in Jesus' words here, the temptation is real for him. This is not perfunctory. And make no mistake, our very salvation is on the line in these moments. If the second Adam uses resources of his divinity that the first Adam does not have, he cannot undo the damage the first Adam did. The do-over won't work. Jesus could save himself but he could not save anybody else. And so in this temptation, Luke tells us Jesus is in agony. Luke reaches into the newspapers of his day and grabs a word from the NFL, the gladiatorial games, the word agony. Everybody knew what it meant. It was that last life and death struggle in the final seconds in the arena when one gladiator would go home, the victor, and one gladiator would not go home. Agony. 
Jesus is in a life and death struggle to go home a victor. He asks that the cup pass him by. In the Old Testament idea, the cup is a baneful, wrathful thing. We are looking here at the beginning of what theologians call the great exchange from 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made Him who knew no sin to become sin for us. We are glimpsing the amazing grace of Galatians 3.13 before our very eyes. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse Himself. Jesus looks ahead at Him becoming our sin, at being cursed by God for that sin, and He asks that all of that pass Him by. He does not want to be cursed by God. To be counted as sinful before His Father. Because Jesus knows when that occurs, He will be forsaken of God. Stricken, smitten, and afflicted is much more than singable poetry. This is the reality Jesus is in in this moment. But in this temptation, Jesus trusts His Father. In His humanity as the second Adam, Jesus is living by faith. Jesus had to believe that He would be raised. He had to trust that God would do it. The book of Hebrews tells us that through his life of suffering, Jesus learned to trust his Father precisely for this moment. Jesus is in the struggle to die in faith, to trust that God will raise him from the dead. The wonder, the glory here, the grace is not that Jesus faced death without fear but that for our sake, Jesus faced His death terrified. In the garden, the first Adam, fearing that he was missing out on something, disobeyed God and brought death to all. In this garden, the second Adam, fearing God's curse, obeys and brings life to all His people. Jesus, in agony and fear, presents Himself as an atoning sacrifice. See the love of God the Father here. A God who did not spare His own Son even when that Son begged Him to in the garden. Instead, in faith, Jesus let Himself be arrested. Taken away to a farce of a trial. Beaten. Mocked. Spit on hung naked and ashamed on a Roman cross. He grabbed the cup and he drank it to the bottom. He became our sin. He became our sin. Those self-aggrandizing lies, you just can't help yourself but to tell. That bit of mean, juicy gossip you shared that website you went to just this afternoon, our passionate worship of ourselves, all of that is imputed to Jesus and demands His death. He became loathsome and unholy before His Father. 
How can the pure and holy God the Father remain with His Son who has become sin? He can't. In that moment, when all the vile, all the selfishness, all the evil that we know we are capable of, when all of that is poured onto Christ, God the Father turns His back on His beloved Son. This is the outrage. This is the tragedy of the cross. That our sin can only be forgiven by God forsaking Jesus on the cross. For the first time in Jesus' earthly life, His utterly fulfilling connection, this pure fellowship He had by the Spirit with His Father is broken. The horrors that Jesus saw in the cup are coming true. In the accounts of the crucifixion, we're told that three hours of supernatural darkness fell. That God the Father, so pure that He cannot even look on sin, veils His embarrassing, shameful, sinful Son in darkness, too holy to look upon the sin He had become. So the light of the world is cursed with darkness for our sake. He has become our sin and it's such a profound reality that no light of mercy penetrates the darkness for Jesus because sin brings God's wrath but sin also brings God's curse. And sin has wages. It pays off. What does sin earn from God? Sin earns death. And so having turned His back on His Son, and having cursed Him, having poured His wrath out on Him, God the Father now turns back to see His Son, Jesus. And He looks at Him, and the only thing He sees in this man is our sin. He looks upon His isolated, bleeding Son, not with pity, not with a longing to reunite, but with a holy hatred of my sin and yours. And with complete malice of forethought, with all the outrage and passion that true holiness possesses, we just read, it says that He crushed His Son who had become sin. And Isaiah 53 tells us, literally, it was the pleasure of the Lord to crush him. Of the crucifixion, G.K. Chesterton says, God seemed for an instant to be an atheist. But really, this is the moment when God becomes believable. The tearing of the flesh of Jesus is the ripping of the barrier between God and humanity. In the suffering of Jesus on the cross, we see that God took our side. And in taking our side, He rejected and crushed His Son. And it was in that moment, in the agony of rejection, in the agony of having the Creator of life dragging Jesus' life right out of Him, our Lord cried, My God, my God, why have You forsaken Me? 
That's the reality of the cross. So fierce of a punishment, no Roman citizen could be subject to it. Such unbelievable suffering, they had to invent a new word, meaning from out of the cross, excruciato, excruciating. And that reality is shown in this table. We rip bread apart because it's the ripping of Jesus' body. We drink pungent juice to remind us of the shedding of Jesus' blood. To speak into our hearts that the forgiveness we desire, the forgiveness we take for granted, wasn't free. It cost Jesus every drop of blood he had. But this table also shows us that he paid that price because he loves his people. And so he pays the price so that he can offer you his forgiveness for free. If you don't have his forgiveness, you can. You can make it yours. Simply place your faith and trust in Jesus as he's offered in this gospel. That he was wounded for your transgressions and crushed for your iniquities. But by his stripes, you can be healed. And if you know you have that forgiveness, if you rest in that, see again how much it cost our Lord for us to have it. Hallelujah. What a Savior. A gracious, loving God. All your loving kindness is in your Son. Lord, accept His worthiness for our unworthiness. His sinlessness for our sinfulness. His purity for our impurity. His sincerity for our deceit. His truth for our lies. His humility for our pride. His integrity for our hypocrisy. His love for our hatred. Accept, Lord, His fullness for our emptiness. His faithfulness for our unfaithfulness. His obedience for our disobedience. His glory for our shame. His holiness for our unholiness. His righteousness for our unrighteousness. His death for our life. Let us know, Holy Spirit, that when it comes to our sin in Jesus, it is finished. Amen.